All right, everyone. Welcome to the Slightly Above Average Football Fan Podcast with Andrew Drozdak and Thomas Bowen. This is a podcast for slightly above average football fans, slightly below average football fans that want to learn more about the game. And if you're a football junkie, this is the podcast for you. We're glad you're here and we hope you enjoy it. All right, everybody. Welcome in to Season 3, Episode 14 of the Slightly Above Average Football Fan Podcast. Before we get into our typical show, we have to acknowledge the tragedy that has taken place at the University of Virginia with three football players being shot and killed. Uh, The University of Virginia football team has decided to cancel their uh, home finale this week uh, against Coastal Carolina in wake of this tragedy. Tragedy. Um, It is senseless. It is horrible. Three individuals who had their lives in front of them. Um, Great athletes from by all accounts that I have read. Great people and gone entirely too soon. It's truly heartbreaking. This is not the platform to discuss gun control or any of that because that's that's not what we're here to do. But we do send out our condolences and our heartfelt well wishes to everybody involved in the program and essentially, especially those three football players' families um, as they go through a tragedy that is without words. So we, we do feel for them, and we can't talk college football, sadly, without acknowledging what took place at the University of Virginia uh, football team over this past weekend. But in better news, our co-host, Thomas Bowen, is back. He may be covered in baby poop, and he may be exhausted, <laughs> but he is here. Thomas, welcome back to the show. Thank you, buddy. Thank you. It is it is great to be back. I am uh, glad. I had no doubts that that you would hold down the fort and, and keep the ship afloat. Uh, but nonetheless, um, amidst some new routines and getting used to uh, some changes in life, some some welcome and happy changes, I, I am glad to get back to some normalcy and glad to have someone to talk college football with and, and focus some energy there. So let's get after it. Totally, man. Well, talking about college football, a great way to get involved is Better's Edge, the premier no-fee social betting marketplace. Better's Edge allows users to create their own prices and lines for sports betting positions in 45 states, most importantly in South Carolina. These positions are often better than you can find anywhere else. Use the code AVERAGE at sign up to get $20 in your wallet for free when you verify your account just for listening to the Slightly Above Average fan, Football Fan Podcast. Visit bettersedge.com slash average to get started today that's b-e-t-t-o-r-e-d-g-e.com slash average all right thomas now that we've paid the bills so to speak let's go ahead and jump into our reaction to last week's debacle in the gainesville area swamp thomas lead the way here what are your takes on what took place in gainesville well, speaking of, of Gainesville and the swamp, uh, South Carolina looked like they were really lean, leaning into that and trudging through the swamp as much as possible. This game, we've talked about multiple times on this show about how important it is for South Carolina to start fast, to to get points on the board, not go three and out, not settle for free goals. This game was a slow start that went to bad in a hurry. You look at Florida opening with a 14-play, 75-yard drive, ending in a touchdown. South Carolina comes out, okay, let's answer here. South Carolina comes out with a Jaheim Bell run for a loss, a Jaheim Bell run for a loss, a Jaheim Bell pass for four yards and a punt, three and out. That is bad. That is really, really bad. We have talked about and made no bones about where where we feel or where we are with Marcus Satterfield. Um, offensively, this may have been Satterfield's worst game yet, which if you've listened to any of this show or you've watched any South Carolina games, that says a whole, whole lot. Um, he can – he can and, and we can or anybody can lament about the injuries and not having Marshall and Lloyd and, and how much that hurts. Um, CBS didn't make the trip, I believe, either. There's depth there. There's depth at wide receiver. Uh, there's depth in the running back room regardless. But 
uh, I'm, I'm really tired of, of his excuses. I'm tired of putting this on, well, you know, inconsistency of, of players on the field, of personnel. You've said it. I've agreed with you. I've said it. It's nothing novel here, but a good offensive coordinator molds his system and call and sets up his game plans to fit the personnel that he has on the field, regardless of who is available, who's hurt, who's available and whatnot. And that is, I could go on and on and on here, but that was about as bad as I have seen this South Carolina offense this year, regardless of the personnel on the field, flip the side, flip the ball and look at defensively. Defensively, it was very bad. Um, But, we have talked about a lot of the injuries. There's a lot of youth playing on this defense. Uh, at the same time, I'm not going to use that as an excuse. I feel like over the last few years, going back to the Muschamp era, this is not only a Shane Beamer era thing. It looks like the defense has checked out at this point. It looks like they are tired of being on the field the whole time. Um, people can say what they want about being team players and playing for your teammates, but you know it. I know it. When you're out there and you're out there the entire time because your offense keeps going three and out, cannot move the ball, it's hard to not check out at that at this point. You're at the tail end of the season. You're in the orange crush. You're going to be heavy, heavy underdogs for the next two games. Things are, are just not good defensively. Um, I'm not giving Clayton White a, a full pass on this, but, but you know, I, I kind of like to see the forest for the trees here. But Finally, the last thing I'll say here on this from last week is I I truly hope and I think to an extent and truly hope that there are some behind the scenes conversations going on. I truly hope that Shane Beamer knows that there is absolutely no way in hell that you can bring Marcus Satterfield back as your offensive coordinator. I am also pleased that there have been no overtly public dissensions within the team. Nobody has come out and said, no, players, I'm talking about players here, has come out and said, you know, I'm out of here. I'm leaving. Uh, I, I do think that Beamer is doing a good job of keeping everything in-house uh, so long as he makes those moves that needs to be made. Um, he needs to preserve that roster as much as possible. He needs to preserve this incoming recruiting class. Um, I think, uh, I think, and I hope there's some behind the scenes conversations going on, but this was pretty much the death knell for this offense and really this team. And we just need to get to after the Clemson game and Satterfield needs to be out of here and we need to move forward. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree with literally everything you said. Um, when I think about my reaction to this game in Gainesville, one word comes to mind and it's quite simply embarrassing. Uh, South Carolina looked inept. They looked poorly coached, not prepared, not focused, and just quite frankly, not physical enough. Thomas, last week I got on the show and I talked about Clayton White trying out a 3-4 scheme to take advantage of some different situations or try to, I guess, really put a Band-Aid on some deficiencies. I saw him try it. Uh, I, I literally froze, took the, had that uh, Leo DiCaprio moment in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood where I pointed at the screen and went, he's doing it! And it turned in to an 80-yard-plus touchdown because we just got blown off the ball. We just got completely blown off the ball and dominated, which, Thomas, brings me to one quick point. Um, And this is a true question, not rhetorical. Are we sure our strength and conditioning program is good? Are we sure about that? No, and I don't think they've been good for going on two, two different coaching regimes here. It's been bad. So let's think about this for a second. On the defensive line at South Carolina, you have at least two five-star recruits in Zach Pickens and Jordan Birch and a four-star in Alex Hundley. So right now, you know, guys have been injured, yada, yada. That's fine. But we're getting blown off the ball. So there's a couple of different things. There's really, in my mind, two different scenarios. Number one, I guess it could be a combination of both, but let's make it two for simplicity's sake. Number one, they're poorly coached and have bad fundamentals. That's possible. Number two, our strength and conditioning program is not very good because the likelihood, just sheerly statistically speaking, that all three of those guys have just underwhelmed and been busts is just not very likely. When you add in that our offensive line has been continuously blown off the ball as well, and this is a veteran group, I'm starting to be concerned. We just don't have the strength in this team 
and particularly up front to move people. You have to be able to move people on offense and defensive line, and I just don't see us doing it week in and week out, and it really has dawned on me, are we sure this team is as strong physically as it should be and could be? And I just don't know right now that it is. Going into the offensive side, uh, I would have, I'm just going to say it, I would have relieved, I actually would have relieved Marcus Satterfield of his, his play calling duties a long time ago. But I would have announced on my Sunday teleconference if I was Shane Beamer that I'm reassigning, I'm demoting, whatever it is. I'm going to go on a bit of a rant here, Thomas, and it's it's about Coach Beamer, who before I do this, I have a lot of respect for, I like, I think he is good for this program, but here's where I am right now. Right now, I guess I'm a part of that small percentage of the fan base that Coach Beamer was talking about that needs to, quote, stop waiting for something bad to happen. That's right, Coach. I've literally been a Gamecock fan my entire life. To quote Bane to Batman in The Dark Knight Rises, you merely adopted the dark. I was born in it and molded by it. I've been a a Gamecock fan for 30-plus years. I am 39 years old. My first pitcher on this earth is in Garnet and Black. I have seen us do things like three fumbles to start the second half over and over and over again. Coach, don't worry about my joy. I'm past the point in my life where I get my joy from sports. I love sports. They're fun. I love talking about them. I have a podcast with my best friend about them, but I don't get my joy from them. I have many other things I get my joy from. So don't worry about my joy. Worry about your football team's performance. Worry about your lack of offensive plan. Worry about what can only be described as a perplexing decision that you haven't made a move at OC yet. Worry about your team losing faith in you as a leader. Worry about the fact that you have allowed this to happen, and as a, as such, you are telling everybody you accept it. You said in your presser on Tuesday that outside criticism, criticism is warranted. Well, here it is. You've done your team your coaching staff, and your fans a disservice by not making a change on offense. You talked about how you can't make, Coach Beamer, week-to-week massive changes to your scheme. At some point, you just have to be who you are. I get that. That's fine. I 100% agree with you there. You cannot install a new offense in a week. But I would argue you can make a lot of changes to a system, particularly during a bye week. But that's beside my point right now. You can keep the system and change the play caller. I do think your system is too complex. And I say your system, Coach Beamer, because you are allowing it to continue. But here's the bigger issue. It's the lack of situational awareness by your OC, Marcus Satterfield. Former NFL quarterback Sam Bradford was recently on the Greenlight podcast with Chris Long, his former teammate. He was talking about offensive game plans in the NFL. We try to say we have a pro-like offense. Sam pointed out, that the first 15 plays of an offense of game plan are typically scripted out in the NFL. But then where you see a good play caller is when they adjust after those 15 plays. And after that first 15 play script, let's assume that's what South Carolina is doing. Those, the rest of those plays have been a disaster. And you, Coach Beamer, have allowed that to continue. I believe in you as a coach, but this has been a major error and it has to be corrected and it has to be corrected very soon. I'm going to save my in-depth thoughts on what we need in an OC until a move is made with Satterfield, but I'm going to say that there are three things, in my opinion, we have to have. Simplicity, that our offense can run plays and easily execute. Excitement to play in the offense. Look at Tennessee, our opponent this week. Guys are flocking to them to play for them. And an element that you don't see weekly as a defense. South Carolina is not going to be Alabama, Georgia, Florida, they are not going to get the top athletes every time. You've got to bring something to the table that the defense is not ready for. And there needs to be something there. We'll get more into that later. All right. Rant over, Thomas. Well said, my friend. Well said. I could not uh, I could not agree with you more on that. And um, really, really like the Dark Knight Rises um, hat tip there. Well said. But in all seriousness, you, you are spot on. And script or no script, it looks like Satterfield is literally, literally throwing darts out there. I honestly think that our offensive production right now would be 
would not be any worse than it currently is if you just let Rattler himself call the offense on the field. I honestly think it would not be any worse. Hell, it may even be better. And honestly, a truth to that, not only that, if you did it by committee, I'm sure there's some version of that. But here's the thing. Supposedly, I know we may have mentioned this recently, supposedly, according to the internet and and whatnot, which is an unreliable source at best, that supposedly Shane Beamer talked to Freddie Kitchens about calling plays and Kitchens said, I'm not interested. First of all, if that is true, get that man off your staff immediately. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I have to believe that's not true. But let's say it was. Pete Limbo has called offensive plays in the past. And he has shown numerous times in the past two seasons he is well tuned in to the moment in football games. Hell, right now, his special teams may be producing more offensive points than our actual offense. So I would let Pete do it. Heck, I'd let a guy off the street do it. Marcus Satterfield does not have any situational awareness. When when Ish hits the fan, he is not ready. He is not ready, and he has no idea what to do. Either the system's too complex. I don't know. There's a big difference, and Thomas, you and I have talked about this numerous times. There's a big difference between able to draw things on a whiteboard, break down film, all of those things, and it takes a skill and an experience and a knowledge level to do that. That's why you and I call ourselves slightly above average football fans because we think we have a possession of that knowledge and experience that is at a level that is above what the average football fans has. Does that mean I could go call an offensive game better than a college coach? Other than Marcus Satterfield, no, I don't think that does. But it does mean that I know the difference. And it is atrocious to watch, is an indictment of football coaching. It is just plain bad. That is not just the Gamecock in me. That is the football fan. If this was, I I don't know, if this was somebody else doing this, I would be just as bothered by it. It is bad. It is very, very bad. It's it's like the the Las Vegas Raiders. They have the best wide receiver in the league and possibly one of the better quarterbacks, depending on your opinion, and they can't do squat. They can't do squat. So it's bad to watch that. It's bad to watch this. It's not good football. So we're going to move on to an extent. Tennessee comes to Columbia this weekend for South Carolina's final home game. South Carolina at home, by the way, is a 21-and-a-half-point dog to Tennessee, which may be slightly lower than it needs to be. And the over-under is 65-and-a-half. This will be on SEC Network at 7 p.m. The the SEC game day version, whatever version of that, whatever it's called, is coming. Um, It's, it's, you know, just not going to be pretty. Tennessee's offense, we've talked about it before, they play super fast. They play uh, ludicrous speed, if you will. And (laughs) they are a spread-based shotgun offense that they want to take advantage of miscommunications being tired, and they want to get the ball to their players in space. They're going to do a very good job of that. They want to keep you off balance. Part of moving quickly is keeping you off balance. If they don't sub out, you can't sub out, and it's harder to get your play calls in. You're going to have to go simple this week on defense, Thomas, and I'll let you talk about that. I'm not going to step on you too much there, but you got to go simple because if you're communicating a lot, guess what's going to happen? They're going to snap the ball, and you ain't going to be ready. Hayden Hooker, other than his experience in Athens, which was a obviously a hostile environment, not great weather, lots of things, has had a Heisman-like season. He has been super productive, one of the most productive quarterbacks in college football. Thomas, again, true question, not rhetorical. How many touchdowns do you think Jalen Hyatt's going to have on Saturday? Ooh, uh, if you put the over-under at – Three and a half, I would take the over. Absolutely. I think, and Heupel's the kind of guy, head coach for Tennessee, Josh Heupel, has proven himself to be the type of guy that when Jalen comes and says, hey, man, I want to rub it in that these guys didn't recruit me, he's going to be like, yeah, no problem, man. I'm going to do that for you. And he's going to catch some touchdowns. Second question, how many times during the broadcast will the commentators mention that Jalen Hyatt is from Dutch Fork and that South Carolina didn't recruit him? Uh, at least half of his touchdowns. So if, if the over under on that was two and a half, I'd probably take the over on that too. 
There you go. It's going to be, I expect the Jalen Hyatt show. I expect him to be featured, as he should be. He's having a phenomenal season, but it is going to be painful to watch uh, and hear. The only thing that's saving me from that is, Thomas, I'm going to actually be at this game because I'm a masochist, and (laughs) I want to go watch this debacle. Thomas, speaking of debacles, South Carolina's defense, what do they do to try and slow down this bullet train that is this Tennessee offense? You know, b- before I get into to, to what, what South Carolina's defense needs to do to slow down the, the ludicrous speed of and, and productivity of Tennessee's offense here is, uh, look back at the Georgia-Tennessee game. Uh, I think, I think that, that show uh, took place when I was on uh, hiatus for the birth of my daughter. But I do remember the week before that, I, I went on record and I believe you agree with me that I said that Tennessee was going to shred Georgia, and mm-hmm. I was dead wrong. I was very wrong on that. Uh, going yep. into that game, I said Georgia's got some holes on defense. I think Tennessee's going to exploit this. But, man, I have, I have not been that wrong in, in quite a long time. And I say all that to say that Georgia showed in that game showed the blueprint to stop in Tennessee's offense here. And I really think that Kirby Smart did a masterful job preparing his defense going into that game to shut down one of the most potent offenses in college football. The way that Georgia did this, it, it was it was nothing crazy. He didn't do anything novel here or try anything out of sync. Kirby Smart challenged his guys. He challenged the 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 I don't want to say much maligned, but a little bit maligned secondary, challenge them to play up to their potential there. They were extremely physical on the perimeter, ran man coverage, pressed their stack sets into the backfield. Hypo runs a lot of these stacked wide receiver sets where it can look like trips on the outside, but you've literally got three guys in a line, and then they break off into, into slants and fades and, and post routes, and it really confuses the defense. Well, Georgia didn't even give them a chance to get off the ball with that. They were pushing those sets into the backfield. Georgia ran uh, what they run a lot of, and this is a Kirby Smart and Nick Saban staple, what they like to call a mint front, M-I-N-T, mint front. This is their nickel base tight front, three down. Sometimes it looks like four down because they step that, they step that jack linebacker, that hybrid position up. Georgia likes to use this on 10 and 11 personnel when we're talking one running back and no tight ends or one running back and one tight end. Um, They like to put the nickel back, that fifth defensive back, to the passing strength side. They'll use that jack linebacker hybrid on the opposite side. It's really a good front if you have the personnel to run it. It allows the defense to defend a lot of these modern-day offenses that are utilizing the bigger hybrid wide receiver tight end H-back players kind of guys like Jaheim Bell can be in a a competent offensive system, right? Exactly, Um, yep. (laughs) Players that can line up in the backfield, put him in the slot, things like that. That's what Georgia ran, and they just blew up Tennessee's offense. I don't think that Tennessee was really ready to get punched in the mouth like this. So – Saying that, physical on the perimeter, let your three or four guys rush the passer, shut down the run game, man coverage, sounds very simple, right? Well, here's the problem, is nobody other than Georgia, maybe Alabama to an extent, has four and five stars at every position, at second string, at third string. So South Carolina cannot execute that same game plan. Half the teams in the country, maybe 75% of the teams in the country, maybe more, cannot execute that game plan against Tennessee. We saw Alabama couldn't even execute that game plan. You cannot, you can't run zone against this offense. The problem is South Carolina doesn't have much of a choice because they don't have the talent to match up with them in man coverage. If even Alabama didn't have the cornerbacks to press Tennessee's wide receivers, South Carolina sure as hell doesn't either. So the problem here is, I mean, what do you do? Rush three, drop five to seven into coverage. They're going to pick you apart, but you try to keep everything in front of you and honestly just limit the damage as much as you can. Uh, Don't blitz. You're going to (coughs) need, excuse me, you're going to need all the help you can in coverage. I don't know what more the South Carolina defense can do here. And Tennessee, honestly, can name their score in this game. 
Yeah. Um, which takes us to the South Carolina offense. And my first bullet points uh, on the show rundown notes here is I honestly don't know what to say here because I, I, I just don't. The only thing I would say, go as slow as humanly possible because if you're going to go three and out, at least take two minutes off the clock. Like it, it, it's, it's, you cannot give Tennessee the ball over and over and over and over again. Like you need to huddle. You need to not snap the ball before there's, unless there's two seconds left on the play clock. You need to go as slow as humanly possible. Do not go out of bounds on any outbreaking routes. Get your butt on the ground in, in bounds. Keep the clock running. The bet, Thomas, you just talked about the, the, the very difficult situation this defense is in. The best way to keep Tennessee's offense from scoring is to keep them off the field. Unfortunately, South Carolina's offense has not shown the capability to do that. And so the only thing I would advise is go as slow as humanly possible. Like literally run the clock, bleed the clock, limit how much time they get the ball. That's the only hope you have is, is to keep them off the field. Be creative. Make them defend the whole field like they like you did against Vanderbilt. I don't know who called the first half of the Vandy game. I don't know who called the UNC bowl game. I, I don't know who that person is. Whoever he is, ask him to call plays again because it was much better than what we've seen in 98% of these games. You're going to have to make Tennessee defend the whole field, like I just said. There needs to be a misdirection with window dressing pre-snap. I talk about that all the time. Motions to make them identify what they're in in defense. Put them in a, a bind. Back, Thomas, a long time ago, the very first episode I ever did of this show, I had Jeff Barnes, former offensive lineman at South Carolina, currently a coach at Hammond, uh, that football team that's just a juggernaut. He talked about, if you take the field and divide it in half by the center's forehead, there's going to be six guys on one side of the field. There's going to be five on the other. Go to the five-man side every single time in a pass, in a, uh, in a run, but make them declare that. Bring an extra man over. Are they in zone? Are they So, folks listening, when you run a, a, a pre-snap motion, if a, if a wide receiver goes across the formation – and the defensive player for the other team follows him, they're most likely in man coverage. If he points to somebody on the defense and sort of says, hey, 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 he's coming your way, they're in some kind of a zone. Make them identify, hey, we're going to declare this side is where we have six guys, this side's where we have five, we're in man, we're in zone. you got to know some things pre-snap. Get creative and use some what I uh, naked bootlegs, naked plays. You're going to have to make everybody on that defense think you're going left and then squirt it back out right, whatever that looks like. <laughs> Thomas, one thing I don't understand, in this super sophisticated NFL offense, do we not have any trick plays? Like, I know we've run a couple reverses, but do we not have any trick plays? Like, we're not trying to get creative at all. We're just going out there and saying, hey, guys, this is what we do. This is what we do. This is who we are. That's great. That's great. But who you are is deficient. And you've got to find a way to get creative. Finally, I do not want to see a single, really I don't want to see a single wide receiver screen for the rest of the darn season. But oh, I sure don't want to see it on third and long. Please don't run Juju up the middle. Please. Like, just stop it. He, know your personnel. Know the, the, the players to call there. Finally, protect the damn football. Like, those fumbles in that second half are just inexcusable. It's a lack of focus. It's a lack of attention. Some of those, Thomas, wouldn't you agree that most everybody who's playing in an offensive skill position on our team has played that position or some version of a skill position on offense, if not other positions, since what? Middle school? Pop uh, yeah, Warner? For the, yeah, for sure. For sure. So you, you know how to protect the football. It's a lack of focus to not do it. And, and listen, that happens one time. For it to happen three times is it when you're down and you're supposed to be like there was a big halftime speech. Guys, we got to get locked in. We can chip this thing away. We can do this. We can do that. And we cough the ball up like that. Like that's not focus. That's not intensity. That's not preparedness. That's that's ridiculous. It's it's just not good football. Thomas, what is this Tennessee defense going to do to this inept South Carolina offense? Well. I was kind of uh, – I, uh, I like the way that you phrased that question because I was kind of thinking that you were going to ask me um, 
what does Tennessee, this Tennessee defense have to do to slow down the South Carolina offense, which of course the answer to that would be well, show up, step Correct. on the field. You don't right. even have to have on pads, stand, step on the field. You don't have to move anything like that. Um, you, you made a good point though uh, about don't run Juju up the gut. And I'll take that a step further. When we're, when South Carolina is running max protect and keeping a running back in to pass block, don't have Juju on the field. He is an right. undersized back. Honestly, I don't think he should really be running between the tackles, period. Put him in the slot, get him in jet sweep, get him in motion, get him out in space. But I digress on that. This Tennessee defense is very is very high risk, high reward. Sometimes that can come to bite them. Sometimes when they play teams that have dominant tight ends, that can hurt them. Case in point, look at the Georgia game. Well, South Carolina doesn't have that right now. I'm not saying that that South Carolina has has garbage tight ends because I think there is talent there at tight ends. I think that if you really want to go out on a limb here, because we've talked before about what the talent on this offense, what could a a competent play caller do with this offense? What could a Steve Spurrier, when he is clicking on all cylinders and in his prime, do with this offense? Yeah, I think that Steve Spurrier with this offense could create some mismatches against this Tennessee defense. But as long as Marcus Satterfield is out there, we know that's not going to happen. Tennessee really doesn't have to do a whole lot on defense here, um, is run their base package and know that their job out there is to get the ball back to their offense as quickly as possible. And I don't think that they'll have any trouble doing that the entire game. Yeah, I think you're accurate there. Uh, So – I think it's pretty obvious what we were going to say here. But, Thomas, what's your final outlook for this game? You know, Tennessee, I think I said it earlier, they can name their score in this game. I think the final score of this game really comes down to what kind of mood Josh Heifel is in. Can we can we pump him full of some cheese fries from Rockaways and get him fat and happy before this game? Can we, you know, send him down to uh, Salty Nut and get some Cajun bites or something? Point being is Tennessee can do what they want to in this game. This is going to be a tune-up game. I don't foresee Hendon Hooker being in this game very late at all into the second half, get Milton in there, get him some time. Um, but the kicker of that is there is that one thing hanging over, over everybody's head is style points. Does yep. Tennessee want to make a case for themselves to, to still get into the playoffs? So honestly, if Tennessee wants to score 80, they'll score 80. Uh, yeah, I agree with you. Side mo- sidebar for a moment because you brought up Salty Nut. Did you ever get the, uh, the, chick- the chicken salad melt at Salty Nut? Ooh, I did not. Bro, it was delicious, but it was also a gut bomb. Like if you're <laughs> if you're planning on staying out late and having some drinks with the boys or, or whatnot. Don't start like, with that. Don't do start not, with that one. Do not get that. That's an instant uh I gotta go home uh after you <laughs> after you've eaten it. All right. So my outlook, uh, I agree. This could get ugly. This could get very, very ugly. Tennessee showed last week against Missouri they're willing to score, score late, drive up the score. You know, Hypel took some some heat for that at the end of the game. Apparently, uh, Drinkowicz was a little upset with him doing that. Sorry, they are trying to get in the playoff. Um, I, you know, Steve Spurrier said it best. You know, we want to put they put their backups in, but they still called their offense. Like yeah. those guys want to play too, and you know, stop them if you don't like it. Stop them. Like they used to I say got, about. I got no problem with that. I got no problem with that. Like they used to say about Terrell Owens in the NFL. You don't want to see Terrell Owens celebrate in the end zone. Don't let him get in the end zone. Um, so lastly, this offensive scheme gives me zero confidence that we can, we can stay on the field. Uh, what did we have at half against Florida? What was like 85 yards? It was, it was awful. A hundred something yards. Yeah. Less than a hundred. It's, it's not going to be good. Um, uh, ESPN's prediction tracker gives South Carolina uh, a 10.6% chance of winning this game. Honestly, I think that's too high. Uh, and here's the thing, Thomas. Everybody might listen to this and go, man, he's dogging the team. I'm not dogging the team. I think we have talent. I think we got yeah. a lot of talent. But the current scheme is going to not let that talent exceed, excel. It's not. It's not. If you could get you know, uh, uh, the ball in space to Jaheim Bell in the middle of the field, 
and let him catch five yard posts, you know, in routes, stick routes, things like that, and keep the ball going and keep the clock running. Uh, yeah, maybe we can hang around, get a defensive touchdown, get a special teams block field goal, block punt and score. And oh no, all of a sudden it's an upset brewing in Columbia. I have zero, zero faith that that can happen with this offensive staff. Zero. And I, I mean, I'm not going to step on next week, but I feel the exact same way going into Death Valley to play Clemson. So mm-hmm. switching to the Clemson Tigers, uh, they will be playing the Miami Hurricanes at home. Clemson is ranked number nine currently in the country. They are a 19 and a half point favorite. The over under on this game is 46.5, and this will be on ESPN at 330. Uh, before I jump into the Miami offense, Thomas, uh, I know you didn't get to see a whole lot of this uh, of last week's game against Louisville for uh, or Louisville, however you say it, if you're from there. Um, and uh, you know Tennessee, look, or excuse me, Clemson looked good. I mean, they looked fine. They, you know, I've said that before this season about Clemson. They looked fine. Um, I think Malik Cunningham being hurt and going out at halftime had a, uh, I believe it was at halftime, you know, impacted the game, obviously. But, uh, you know, they, they bounced back. Miami's offense. The U's new head coach is Mario Cristobal. He is a former Miami Hurricane playing offensive line for the Hurricanes and winning two national championships in 89 and 91. And he is he was supposed to bring back the swagger, bring back the Miami mojo all those things and you know he was doing good things at oregon starting who where he's head coach since 2018 dan lanning over in eugene oregon's you know reaping the benefits of some of that work that he played there things have not gone great for the hurricanes this year uh they have a new offensive coordinator as well josh gaddis who came from uh the university of michigan to miami university where he was oc for um, Jim Harbaugh and had a very productive offense and won the Bryles. Is that how I say that? Bryles award? I was just yeah. worried about that. Bryles. Broyles, sorry, the Broyles. Broyles, sorry. Broyles, yeah. That makes more sense. Broyles award for the top assistant in college football last year. This offense is all, this whole philosophy of this offense is to get the ball in the playmakers' hands in space and let them make plays. They're going to do that with tight ends as well when they have good tight ends. This is a spread based offense. They're, they're going to, you know, one of the ideas here is that. This, this type of offense, Gaddis's offense is sort of supposed to be what we are asking for from Marcus Satterfield in that he doesn't have a set system, a set we need to be this percent run, this percent pass. He's supposed to play to the, to the uh, strengths of the players on his offense. All that being said, things haven't exactly gone great for the Hurricanes on offense this year. They're currently ranked 66th in the nation in total offense per game. By comparison, by the way, Thomas, South Carolina is ranked 92nd. Um, they are they are 47th in the country in passing yards per game, 82nd in rush yards per game, 63rd in red zone offense, only scoring on 85% of their times in the red zone. That's either a touchdown or a field goal. Those are not great offensive numbers. Miami also has some bad losses this season. They lost to a very bad, what has proven to be a historically bad Texas A&M team where they only scored nine points. They lost to Middle Tennessee State. Holy smokes. Middle Tennessee State, no disrespect, guys, but this is not a team that should that the Miami Hurricanes expect to lose to. Lost at home, I believe, last week to Duke by, I think, almost three touchdowns and have a loss as well to the UNC Tar Heels, who have had a pretty doggone good season. And Phil Longo, if you're listening, please come to Columbia and bring your quarterback with you. Um, we'll, <laughs> We will we will pay you whatever you want. Just come on, like just come on. Mostly is a, a shotgun based offense. Like I said, they are varied in the run game. They're going to run some counter. They're going to run some power. They're going to run some zone. Passing game, like I mentioned, is a, a lot of getting the ball in space to your playmakers. So you're going to see some short to intermittent passing game, getting the ball out quickly, trying to make it simple on the quarterback <laughs> to get the ball in the hands of his playmakers. Have that point guard type mentality at quarterback. Get distribute the ball to your playmakers, Thomas. Clemson's defense, good game last week. What are you thinking about this week against the Miami Hurricanes? Yeah, I mean, you said it. This Miami team is 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 not very good. Uh, th- this is a Clemson defense that I think uh, has continued to win games on talent and talent alone because Clemson is is one of those defenses. When you look at talent from top to bottom on the roster, 
very similar to a Georgia or, or a Georgia junior, if you will, where they've got four and five stars at every position. Clemson right now, that this defense has a Goodwin problem. Uh, I think I've seen enough to say that he is not a good defensive coordinator. We, we said before, what was it going to be like uh, taking over a Venables defense, a, a defense that has been, you know, top five every year, essentially since Venables has been there. And this was a guy who had never been an on the field coach. So people wondered, what's he going to be like? Well, of course, if you ask, if you ask the, the, the Clemson faithful on that, well, he, he's a Venables disciple. He, he's the brains behind Venables offense. That's all well and good. You have to have Marcus Satterfield, case in point, you have to have that, that it factor to be able to, in the heat of the moment, to, to call the plays on the field. Wes Goodwin may be a great dark room coach, a whiteboard coach that can draw it up with the best of them. But when you're in the trenches, in the games, he's just not making the right calls. And honestly, he may be a good defensive coordinator one day. He might be, and I hope he is. I don't wish ill on anyone. But hires like this could be the downfall of Dabo at Clemson because the same thing's happening on the offensive side of the ball. When Venables left, Clemson could have hired damn near anyone they wanted to in the country to run that defense. Same thing for the offense when Tony Elliott left. But Dabo, for whatever reason, has continued to, to quote-unquote, keep things in-house, uh, hire from within, and I truly think that's going to be the downfall to them. That doesn't say a whole lot about what Clemson's defense is going to do, what their game plan is against Miami here, because honestly – much like Tennessee's defense against South Carolina's offense this weekend, I don't think they need to do a whole lot, run their base defense, rely on talent alone, and that's going to get them the W here at Memorial Stadium. Yeah, most likely. Uh, Clemson's offense found, again, fine production uh, against Louisville's defense, which was a, a pretty doggone good defense uh, coming in. I mean, they they were fourth in the conference in total defense, I think, or maybe passing defense, sixth in rushing. I mean, they they're, they're not a bad defense, but they moved the ball. They did they did what they needed to do. DJU found a groove. I think they did a thing that South Carolina um, Steve Spurrier used to talk about, and I've mentioned this before, I believe. Uh, doing this helped St- Stephen Garcia during his tenure as quarterback in South Carolina. They ran DJU early. And that seems to lock him in, settle him in, keep putting him in situations that he has to make simple reads, easy, you know, easier reads that he is comfortable with. At this point in the season, Thomas, every offensive coordinator, every offensive coordinator worth their weight and salt should be able to sit down and go, here are the past concepts my quarterback is confident in. And this is what I'm going to call, and that's how I'm going to get us in those situations, and I'm going to use every formation I can think of to make it look different. But ultimately, we're going to run snag. We're going to run smash. We're going to run mesh. We're going to run all curls. We're going to run all verts. Whatever it is that that's going to be. So they ought to have that. That being said, Thomas, tell me what you think here. I mean, it's 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 time to put the Cade Klubnik as the relief pitcher coaching to bed. Like that, he is not that player right now. Yeah, it's almost like uh, because Clemson has had such an embarrassment of riches at the quarterback position the the last few cycles, and and every year it seems like they bring in the top quarterback recruit in the country. It's almost like Dabo and company feel obligated to at least get them some playing time because for whatever reason they don't want to redshirt them. But and and. You know, maybe they look at it as well. You know, we need to get some competition there. We need somebody to push DJ. But you're right. You don't have to always do that. There is something to be said for developing guys, not throwing them into the fire, putting them in bad positions. You can really mess up a young player's mentality like that. So I agree with you. It's time. It's time to shelve him right out the rest of the season. Do what you got to do, and just develop that kid some more. It's, it's pointless at this point. Yeah, I I agree. Um, and it's almost like they're going back to to the old playbook, so to speak, dusting it off and going, okay, we got a, a hot stud freshman. Let's let's bring him in like we did Trevor Lawrence. He's not Trevor yeah. Lawrence. I mean, that's not every quarterback's ready to play as a true freshman. You know that that's not something that happens for every college quarterback. You know, not every NFL rookie's ready to play. It's just not always the case. And it's like they went, oh, it worked last time. Let's do it again, and not so much. Um, so finally, Thomas, you know, you talk, uh, you know, Miami's defense, what, what can they do here to try and slow down these, the tiger offense? 
You know, I mean, I think the game plan going in here, as as I feel like I'm I'm beating a dead horse here, and we say it week after week, but the game plan going in here is to make DJU uncomfortable, not let him get into a rhythm, and stop Shipley, which is of course easier said than done. You kind of got to pick your poison. I do think Clemson's offense has 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 realized, hey, this is our bread and butter is running the ball. Let, let's stop trying to air it out here. We don't have the, the wideouts to do that game in and game out and are really using DJU as as a second or even a third running back uh, in the backfield. I do think it's good for Clemson that uh, you saw a good game out of Phil Moffa last week at running back. I think he even had more rushing yards than Shipley did. Uh, yep. And I think w- one of our – one of our mutual friends, who, who was a diehard Clemson fan, said that Clemson needs to rush for for 250 yards to win this game. Well, I think they rushed for about 248, so that was that was pretty close to the number there. And right. I think Clemson is is and and if they're smart, they'll continue to do this. Is just to lean into that and just just be who they are, not try to be somebody else, and just just run the ball. Honestly, they've got the horses to do it. Uh, finishing out this weekend against Miami, no trouble there. South Carolina <laughs> next weekend, no trouble there. And then you go into the ACC uh, champion, uh, conference championship game against North Carolina, not a whole lot of trouble there. So if I'm them, I'm, I'm just riding this out and just getting back on the train to rebuild for next year. Right. And well, I, you know, before we jump, uh, I, I think UNC's offense at least could give this Clemson defense some trouble. Um, the, the UNC defense, and we'll, you know, we'll talk more in depth when it comes time for that for conference championship weekends, uh, will we'll not we'll struggle to stop the Tigers. But I do think they got a pretty doggone good offense again. Phil Longo, I love you. Please come coach our team. Um, <laughs> just please do it. Um, I, you, I, like seriously, off, you know, again, a little side note. Do you think he's in a position – where I mean I'm not I don't actually think Phil Longo is going to come to South Carolina like I mean that'd be great I'd, I'd be thrilled but I don't see that happening do you think he's in that position where he's been told he's head coach in waiting and like when Matt Brown retires he's going to be the guy do you think that's what what's going on right now in Chapel Hill uh, if this was if this was uh, eight to ten years ago I, I might would say that but but I think you know that that was very much in vogue a, a decade ago and a lot of people were using that and I think and I think most famously probably Mac Brown himself yeah. when he was at Texas I really think right. that Muschamp was the quote unquote head coach in waiting there and, and I think and he just, was named it he was named yeah. it like he he was called that yeah and, and I think I think that was the beginning of people starting to realize hey that doesn't really work for myriad reasons particularly in this day and age NIL things like that transfer portals I just I I don't think it works so and I think Mac Brown is smart enough to know that even if even if the the AD at UNC wanted to do that, he would say, "Look, bro, like I've tried that before. It doesn't work. Please don't do it. It's not going to work." Yeah, been there, done that. Let's not do that. All right, back to yeah. this Clemson uh, Miami game, Thomas. I mean, I think we've both pretty much said it. I think we both think Clemson rolls. Miami doesn't give them a whole lot of challenge here. Would you agree with that statement? Yeah, I agree with that. What did you say the number was on this? Twenty one and a half, something like that. 19 and a half, I think. 19 and a half. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it doesn't matter. Yeah. Clemson's going to be fine here. This is going to be another, you know, 31 to 10 type of game for them. No problem. So, with that, with that uh, in mind, just for some, you know, if you're looking to go to Better's Edge and put some action on the game, the over under is 46 and a half, Thomas. Do I hear you saying you think that's going to hit under? Whew. This is in Clemson, right? Um, yes, it is. Yes, it is. Yeah, I think I think uh, yeah yeah I'm, I'm gonna take the under on that. This is I think this is gonna be a, a sloppy game from Clemson offensively and a sloppy game on both sides of the ball from Miami. So I don't see a whole lot of points in this one. I'm with you there. I'm with you there. All right, let's take a quick look at college football's uh, playoff top four right now. It goes in this order: UGA. Ohio State, Michigan, TCU. Speaking of TCU, Thomas, you admitted earlier that you know when you were predicting what you thought Tennessee was going to do to Georgia, how wrong you were. Uh, my good buddy Andrew Fisher joined me last week, and we were predicting the TCU Tennessee or uh, Texas game, and we said, "Hey, man." Don't step away from your TV. It's going to be a scoring fest. Like it's going to be a tennis <laughs> match. It's going to be wild. And I think that thing. What was it? Seventeen ten. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that's why that's why we're slightly above average because we never know what's going to happen. <laughs> well, honestly, nobody does. Um, yeah. All right, so the top four, again, are Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan, TCU. Thomas, my first question to you, 
what do you think needs to happen in order for Tennessee to get into this, to back into the mix of the final four? Oh man, for, for Tennessee to get in here, it's, it's, I think a lot of this is, it's going to hinge on, on TCU and on the Pac-12 here because right. <clears throat> I think I think Tennessee to, to to get into the playoffs, two of the following four things have to happen. And this is this is really going out there. You've got to have a Southern Cal loss, a TCU loss, a two-loss ACC champion, or a, a lopsided Ohio State just gets blown out by Michigan there because I mean I really think that's 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 the only path there and you look at it because TCU is not likely looking at a loss uh, Southern Cal who is currently sitting with one loss uh, right and then mm-hmm. and so they're probably going to ease in it's it's Tennessee can't do anything to uh, to improve their resume at this point because they've got us and then Vanderbilt. Who I mean, they're going to smoke us and smoke Vanderbilt. So right. I think they're they're going to need some significant help, regardless. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think UGA's got to win the SEC championship. Um, I think TCU's got to lose, um, and then Tennessee could get in. But then I agree with you. You got to have a lopsided win for somebody in the Michigan Ohio State game. Um, you know, which brings me, you brought up the Pac-12. I, I feel like they've pretty much eliminated themselves at this point. Southern Cal already has a loss. Oregon's now got two. UCLA fell flat. I don't think this team, These, I, I think it's going to be another another college football playoff with no Pac-12 team. Thomas, would you agree with that? Wait, say that last part again. No this Pac-12 be, team? No Pac-12. Yeah, no, I, I I think you're right on that. Yeah, I think they're kind of doing it to themselves. I mean, I think I think something dramatic would have to happen. Like UNC would have to lose. Excuse me, UNC UGA would have to lose the SEC championship to LSU, and like whoever wins Ohio State Michigan would have to lose to whatever terrible team they play in the Big Ten championship. We'll talk about that in a second. Um, but like, and then TCU would have to lose as well. Like, I mean, like so many like people would have to flat f- fall flat on their faces for a Pac-12 team to get in. Um, at this point, in my opinion. So, Thomas, I, I mentioned Ohio State, Michigan. You did as well. I I have a hard time thinking that a, a, whoever comes away with one loss, whoever loses the Ohio State, Michigan game this year, I think this is essentially. This gets you into the playoffs or gets you out of the playoffs. And at this, if, if everything holds serve, don't you agree? Whoever wins that game and then goes, assuming they go to win the Big Ten championship, they get into the playoff, and the other team does not. Yeah, because uh, who, who the the winner of that Ohio State Michigan game? They're playing who? What most likely Illinois or Iowa in the championship? Yeah. Yeah, let's talk yeah. about that for a second. The Big Ten divisions are awful. Now, there was a time, and I talked to Thomas about this before the show started. What was it, Thomas? You said it was the legends and... Leaders and, and legends. I mean, wow. Corny. <laughs> like, I am super corny. I am as the corniest guy you know. Like, dad jokes, all the acronyms, all the things. But, like, that is bad. Yeah. Um, so, but again, now they are now just east and west. Ohio State or winner of Ohio State Michigan either takes on a seven and three Illinois team with a four and three conference record or a six and four Iowa team with a four and three conference record. I guess technically Purdue's not out of it. Really, neither is yeah. Minnesota. I mean, so but here's the thing: whoever wins the Big Ten West is most likely heading to Jerry World. Uh, no, that's not where this game's played. They play this in uh, Indianapolis in the Colts Stadium. Um, right. Uh, they are just going there as a sacrificial lamb at this point. Um, so, I mean, man, let's. how much fun would it be to be at the Ohio State-Michigan game? Like, that's a game I've always wanted to go see anyway just yeah. because of the intensity of the rivalry. But this year, it truly means more. Like, this is the most important rivalry game of rivalry week by far. I mean, yeah. Alabama and Auburn. You know, Alabama's out of the national championship. Auburn's terrible. Um, you know, Georgia, Georgia Tech, uh, South terrible. Carolina, Clemson will be a bloodbath. Um, Florida, Florida State, terrible. Florida, terrible. So, I mean, like, literally the only rivalry game that has national implications this year is Ohio State, Michigan. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, it's going to be interesting to see. 
Yeah, yeah. No, I think you're right. And, yeah, like you said, whoever wins that game is going to cruise on into the playoffs. And then that one loss, that one loss Big Ten team is, is you know, going to a nice nice New Year's Day bowl. That's right. That's right. So, Thomas, do you feel like, with all that being said, so, okay, so right now the final four is UGA, Ohio State, Michigan, TCU. So earlier I said that Tennessee needs UGA to, to win the SEC championship or yeah, the SEC championship and TCU to lose. I don't know that maybe I, I may not be right about that because if you knock out one of those Ohio, one of those two teams between Ohio state and Michigan, now there's a fourth spot open and right now Tennessee's fifth in the country. So you got to think they bump up and take over whoever loses that game. Right? Well, would you, Hmm. 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 Man, then you. What if you had a one-loss Pac-12 champion? Mm-hmm. You have a a one-loss Big Ten runner-up. Uh, you're probably going to give that one-loss Pac-12 champion because they're the conference champion the leg up on that. Tennessee with one loss, not winning the SEC. Uh, we're getting into chaos at that point, man. It's, right. it's uh, could be. I'm trying to remember who. Uh, did- who did oh who did Southern Cal lose to? They lost to Oregon State. They lost to Oregon State. Yeah, yeah, back yeah, in, yeah. Back in September, mm-hmm. I I think a one loss Tennessee team gets in. If Georgia wins the SEC championship, then you know they lost to the the SEC champion. That's the, the probably at this point unanimous number one team in the country, and yeah. you know they they get in. Um, you know, if we were going solely on the eye test, if this was the old days of like, you know, a council picking the eye off the eye test, I think UGA is the number one team in the country. Mm-hmm. I think, honestly, I think number two is is probably Tennessee. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right because they're you know even with a one loss Pac-12 champion, you know whether it's let's say it's a one loss Southern Cal. Tennessee's resume as one loss is much better than Southern Cal's. And so if you're looking at it from resume, resume strength of schedule and Tennessee's got those lops, those massive wins over Alabama, LSU. Yeah. I guess you got to give them the leg up on that. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess, so let's say in a world, you know, Ohio state beats Michigan, Michigan's out of the playoff. So that gives us a fourth spot. So let's call that Tennessee. Let's say TCU loses somehow between now and their Big 12 championship game. So now that could sneak back in a Michigan or an Ohio State with one loss. What you for think? sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah for mean, sure. But yeah, T- does, TCU's got a pretty much pretty much run run out here and, and be undefeated. I mean, if TCU yeah. loses the Big 12 championship game, it's basically got zero chance of the playoffs. Absolutely. Man, again, I'm going to say it again. That Ohio State Michigan game is going to be epic. Like that yes. is that is going to be high high entertainment and drama and intensity. Like holy smokes. But we would both agree if TCU holds serve and finishes undefeated, wins the Big 12, they get in. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. I, I would think so. I think they probably get pounced on. I think they probably, you know, we'll get to that when that day comes, but I think they get in. They're undefeated. They won the uh, a power a power 5 conference. They should get in, you know, like you know, let's even let's get crazy and say Ohio State Michigan goes to like four overtimes. Still, an undefeated TCU team deserves to be in over a one-loss Ohio State or Michigan. I mean, you you went undefeated and won your conference, and it's a Power Five conference. You got to get into the playoff. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. So, all right. So we usually take a quick quick look around this uh, college football and talk about a twelve o'clock game, a three thirty game, seven seven thirty or eight o'clock game. Not a whole lot of great games on the on no. the docket. Uh, the one game, as we sort of mentioned here, that, that does have some merit, does have some significance, is at 8 o'clock. It's the number 7 Southern Cal Trojans taking on the number 16 UCLA Bruins, uh, a California rivalry. Um, UCLA is ranked 16th. Right now, Southern Cal on the road is a road favorite at 2.5. That is a pretty close to Pickham's game. I, Thomas, from I, I'll be honest. I, I've I've watched Southern Cal some. 
I haven't watched UCLA a lot. I mean, obviously, mm. I know Brian Kelly's their uh, Brian Kelly is their uh, court, their head coach, and and he's running their a version of his offense that made him famous at Oregon and yada yada. Uh, I do. I mean, I mean, it should be interesting to watch, but SoCal needs to not just win; they need to blow them out if they want a chance to get at the table. Yeah, yeah, they do, and and this is not a bad UCLA uh, UCLA team. They've got some quality wins here, uh, some some top twenty five wins. They beat number fifteen Washington forty thirty two. They beat number eleven Utah. Um, you know they 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 did lose to top ten or at least at the time Oregon. So this is not a bad UCLA team, but they could really. I think this is probably one of my more interesting games of the weekend, just because they could really play spoiler for Southern Cal in this game. Yeah, I agree. It's, it's going to be interesting to watch. Uh, I think it'll be more fun to watch than our game uh, for sure. I'll probably be back home by halftime of our game to see uh, the end of this game. Um, but anyway, that uh, I digress. Well, Thomas, great to have you back on the show, my man. Uh, loved it. Missed you. Know it was for an awesome reason. I know you're enjoying being a dad. Um, great to have some normalcy back in your life, though, I bet. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It was good to be back on. I uh, greatly appreciate it and appreciate you, uh, like I said, holding things down while I was gone and looking forward to uh, continuing to get in a groove here just in time for bowl season. That's right. We got a lot to look forward to, a lot of good football coming up. Maybe not for the South Carolina Gamecocks, but nationally speaking, some really good games. Follow us on social media at, at SAA Football Fan, at SAA Football Fan on both uh, Instagram and Twitter. You can email us at SAA Football Fan at gmail.com. We'll see you next time. See ya. Bye.